Welcome back to A Critical Moment, examining how two countries teach about their difficult history and why. From WFPL News, I'm Jess Clark. We just had a peek under the hood of a movement sweeping the United States aimed at rooting out anti-racist curriculum in schools. It's a movement that wants to tell a very specific story about America. Progressives say that story whitewashes history. Now, my colleague Stephanie Wolf takes us back across the Atlantic to Germany, which is known for confronting its most troubling chapters in the classroom. A group of young students lead me out to a cobblestone sidewalk outside of their primary school in Berlin. They point down at a group of stones embedded into the sidewalk. These stones stand out because they are polished brass and have names engraved into each one. They're the names of members of the Zeitzler family. These brass stones can be found all over Berlin, marking where Holocaust victims once lived. The student's teacher, Stephanie Mühlbauer, explains it's part of a public art project known as Stolpersteine that started in the mid-90s. The stones also show the fates of the family members. One is dedicated to a boy named Daniel. Daniel Zeitzler was the kleinste son. And so we realized that Daniel was, how old was he as he went, uh, had to go to Auschwitz? Daniel was nine years old when the Nazis deported him to the concentration camp, just a year younger than these students are now. In Berlin, Holocaust curriculum is offered as part of history class in primary school. With kids this young, the lessons are focused on the events that led to the Holocaust and concepts like anti-Semitism and racism. They learn how laws were created to discriminate against Jewish people and others the Nazis targeted. So as we already know, every German student will encounter the realities of what happened in their country as part of their public school education. But it's not like the war ended in 1945 and every German was ready to talk about the Holocaust immediately, and certainly not in schools. So how did Germany get to the point where it was required Surprisingly, the United States played a role. Christina Bruning is a professor at the University of Marburg in Germany. She teaches educators how to teach history. Her specialty is the Holocaust. And she says the U.S. government and other allied forces basically told Germany it needed to face the awful things it had done. The things soldiers saw when they liberated the concentration camps. It was the most barbaric thing they'd ever seen. Like, I think it was such a shocking event back then that everybody felt passionate about it and wanted to do something. The Americans controlled part of West Germany for several years after the war. And Bruning says the U.S. government tried to reform schools there to rid them of Nazi ideology and teach about the Holocaust. But the U.S. had less influence on schools once West and East Germany became independent nations. And then for a long time, there was this period of silence, kind of, because the teachers in schools were former Wehrmacht soldiers themselves. The Wehrmacht was the army of the Third Reich, Hitler's regime. So the perpetrators did not really want to teach about that. Schools did teach about World War II, but they focused on dates, names, and battles, not on the Holocaust itself. So what changed? Pruning says in the 1960s, young people started to rebuke their parents' silence and complicity. They staged public demonstrations. But something else is largely credited with changing the collective minds of Germans and jumpstarting Holocaust curriculum mandates in every German state. What has he done? Why are you taking him? 
Routine questioning. No, no, no. What is his crime? What has he done? In 1978, a miniseries called Holocaust aired on NBC, starring Meryl Streep. In one scene, Streep's character wants to flee. Her Jewish husband is played by James Woods. Inga, you're dreaming. It is the same all over Germany. Synagogue of Munich destroyed by fire. Citizens groups angered by the Jewish domination of the banks and the press raided the Jewish border today, killing several innocents. Nazis detain the Jewish family and send them to a concentration camp where they're killed. When Holocaust aired on public television in Germany, people watching it had a strong reaction. Here's Professor Christina Bruning again. People watched it and were crazy about it. Most people said, I I never knew, and so on. So it, it reached the general public. People were starting to dig in their own district, saying, okay, we, there must have been a synagogue in our village as well. When was it burned and why? And can we put a memorial site? This was one of the first times the victims of the Holocaust were the focus in mainstream media in Germany. The miniseries Holocaust not only stirred something in German society, it ignited conversations among education officials about how to teach this history in schools. By the early 90s, Holocaust curriculum was mandatory across the country, at least for upper grade levels. I wanted to understand what this meant to someone with a direct link to the Holocaust. My name is Aneta Kahane. I'm the uh, chairperson of the Amadeo Antonio Foundation. Kahane founded the Amadeo Antonio Foundation to fight anti-Semitism, racism, and right-wing extremism. And she is a child of Holocaust survivors. This is what we are, I was growing up with with all these people who were not there anymore. And uh, and my family was not talking about it, but I knew. Kahana's parents fled Germany. They were captured and sent to concentration camps. They survived, but her mother's father, stepmother, and step-siblings died in Auschwitz in Nazi-occupied Poland. I should also note that Kahana grew up in the post-World War II nation of East Germany. In the mid-70s, when she was in her late teens, she became an unofficial employee or informant of the Stasi. This was the state security arm of the East German government. This is something she's talked about openly and has said it was a mistake. Kana says it's okay if students are disturbed by what they see and learn in their Holocaust lessons. That's not a reason to shy away from this subject. And it's also very important that people in Germany are aware of the remembrance culture, that this will be, it has been and will be a topic on on being German in democracy. But she says Holocaust curriculum, as it is taught today, is not enough to fight the persistence of anti-Semitism in Germany. In every generation, not only in the generation after the war, uh, there are um, a certain amount, uh, amount of people who don't want to accept that part of the history. They don't want to talk about it when you confront them with the the crimes of the Nazis. Kahana says many Germans still don't want to talk about the Holocaust, despite Germany's international reputation of facing its past. Or they deny their own ancestors' support for Hitler. And some still hold stereotypical views about Jews, made worse by the fact that there are so few living in Germany today. The country's population is more than 83 million, and only around 118,000 identify as Jewish. And anti-Semitism and right-wing extremism overall 
are on the rise in Germany. The country's former interior minister said during a press conference that right-wing extremist crime hit a two-decade high in 2020, and that anti-Semitic crimes in particular were up nearly 16 percent. I haven't mentioned this yet, but I'm Jewish. And it's impossible, for me at least, not to notice that nearly every Jewish institution and gathering in Germany has armed guards outside. The night before I went to Dachau, I attended a Kol Nidre service in Munich. This is the evening service for the Jewish holiday Yom Kippur. To get in, I had to pass guards and check in. The service was incredibly moving. I cried through much of it, because I kept thinking about the resilience of Jews in Europe. Hitler and his regime tried to kill them off. Yet here we are, persevering and worshipping on the very land where our ancestors' blood was spilled. Some say right-wing extremism would be even worse if it weren't for the Holocaust curriculum in schools. I heard this from several officials and historians. But I also heard from many experts I spoke with that Holocaust education here has room for improvement. Many teachers haven't had adequate training on the subject matter, one professor told me. And they often aren't prepared to deal with anti-Semitism in the classroom, according to the leader of the country's largest teacher association. Aneta Kahana says this is a major problem. She's the activist and daughter of Holocaust survivors we heard from earlier. If you don't really deal uh, with this problem, it will always be just teaching Holocaust like teaching math. You know, this, this will not work. Because you have to understand the Holocaust. It's not just to learn the data. It's not enough to learn the dates, names, and places, Kahana says. Teachers have to talk about the why and the how. Which is why Kahana is troubled by the discussions happening around how to teach American history in the U.S. She thinks it would be a catastrophe if conversations on systemic racism and the ongoing legacy of slavery are restricted from the classroom. I think this will lead to a more decades of racism instead of less, you know? If you don't talk about it, it will be there forever. Kahana has traveled to the U.S. and was happy to see memorials to Holocaust victims. But I would be happy to see, uh, and more happy to see even, uh, to see slavery memorials, because it's, it's easier to deal with the, with the crimes of other people than uh, to deal with the own crimes. Kentucky lawmakers passed legislation a few years ago requiring Holocaust curriculum, and so have other states. But they're still considering banning certain discussions on racism from the classroom. Here's my colleague, Jess Clark. When it comes to teaching history, there are two main schools of thought, according to Adam Latz. He's the historian we heard from earlier. One is to confront it head-on, to help children understand how we got here and ensure we don't repeat the same mistakes. But for many conservatives, Latt says, history class is supposed to be more like a eulogy, a chance to inspire by praising. I mean, imagine if you went to a funeral and in the middle of a eulogy, Harold Rugg stood up and said, actually, they had some problems, some big problems, you know, fundamental problems. You can see why the, the reaction is so um, literally violent, you know, because conservatives at the time, and I think conservatives now, 
imagine that what the class is supposed to be doing is, you know, celebrating and using that celebration not for the past, the sake of the past, but for the sake of the children in the room, to give them something to cling to, to say, um, this is who we are, this is who we want to be. Latt says, for conservatives, history education is about shaping a positive national identity. You see this in former President Donald Trump's 1776 commission. It released its final report in January of 2021, calling for the teaching of what the commission called our founding principles. Here are some excerpts. This includes restoring patriotic education that teaches the truth about America. That doesn't mean ignoring the faults in our past, but rather viewing our history clearly and wholly with reverence and love. Above all, we must stand up to the petty tyrants in every sphere who demand we speak only of America's sins while denying her greatness. In the same speech that Trump announced his 1776 commission, he railed against something called the 1619 Project. If you haven't heard of it, the 1619 Project started out as a series of essays and a podcast from the New York Times. It argues that slavery is a foundational part of American history and that the real birth of the country wasn't 1776, but in fact 1619, when the first ship of enslaved Africans arrived in the British colonies here. Several bills around the country which purport to target critical race theory explicitly mention the project. And the 1619 Project has been on the lips of high-profile conservatives, like Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky. There are a lot of exotic notions about uh, what are the most important points in American history. The year 1619 is not one of the important points for McConnell. I just simply don't think that's part of the core underpinning of what American civic education ought to be about. I don't know how one can look at just the facts of history in a completely objective way and not say this country was founded on systemic racism. That's Nicole Hannah-Jones, New York Times Magazine reporter and the creator of the 1619 Project. As an example of what she's talking about, she points to the Constitution as originally written. The founders wrote in several clauses designed to protect the institution of slavery. She does see these so-called anti-critical race theory bills as a reaction to her project, but also a reaction to the mass protests for racial justice in 2020 and the removal of Confederate monuments across the country. The response is, well, let's pass a bunch of laws where we won't even talk about these things at all, where we won't arm students and uh, Americans with the knowledge that would be required to challenge how we you know, memorialize people who did really, really terrible things. Hannah Jones says anti-CRT arguments have fueled conservative Republican campaigns, and she doesn't believe those pushing this agenda are arguing in good faith. She calls it a propaganda campaign. She also thinks there's been little reflection in the news media of the concerns of Black parents, Latino parents, and Indigenous parents. About how uh, their students are being taught about this history. And no one seems to care about that right now, when we know that for decades, non-white children have been harmed by being completely erased from the history that's been taught. When we come back, we'll go into the classroom in Kentucky and hear from students. 
You're listening to A Critical Moment from WFPL News. 